If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. And guess who I have back? Hedjun. Hedjun, you are finally back. I mean, we've been... I've been kind of grinding on these podcasts during my break um, from school and bringing on different guests and all that, but it's time to get back the old regular crew because there's a lot of English Premier League soccer to talk about, a lot of transfer rumors, a lot of transfer deals that ended up happening over the past couple weeks, and we're finally out of like the craziness of the holiday season and with all the boxing day type of stuff, all the games in a short amount of period. Um, we're finally out of that. So we can kind of take a collective breath and relax a little bit and kind of evaluate what ended up happening in the English premier league and what types of trends that we can look towards for the second half of the year. So there's a lot of exciting things that ended up happening during the league. Um, is how are you feeling about skull scar because we haven't talked about this on a podcast at least from what i remember i don't think we've actually talked i talked to tyler about it but i haven't talked to you about it so how are you feeling because he's about what four games in now and they look like a completely different team paul pogba looks like a completely different player and i know you were a very big supporter of Mourinho. And kind of getting rid of Pogba during this winter transfer period. But he's looking like the player that we expected when he played for France during the World Cup. So are you ready to eat your words a little bit now? <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, first, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. I've been, I don't know if you can tell, but I've been pretty sick. Uh, that's why Kevin has been going out on his own and and popping on some content but uh besides that I'm I'm very happy with you know obviously the change in menu they're scoring goals now they are um and they they had their first clean sheet sheet or not first but the first one that I can really remember I think that it's and I said goals with a s yeah. not just one <laughs> goal he they they've been scoring goals in multiple um no, yeah, it, they they finally look like. Granted, they've been playing some low tier teams. Um, yeah, and I think it out of the three three out of the four teams that they played are in the bottom half of the league right now. Yeah, but that still doesn't you know take away from the fact that they won all four fixtures. You know, going into like Boxing Day and into the New Year, and pretty handedly too. Yeah, um, I mean it, it's exciting stuff, right? Like I've. I don't remember the last time I really watched the Man U game with so much excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> here comes I, the but. Where's the? Yeah, I know. I was I was waiting for the but because there's a little bit of a pause. But what's the but here? But I, I'm I still believe uh, Mourinho did a lot more for the club than say Van Gaal or. Um, Moise, right? Um. Yeah, and I find it interesting. I think maybe I talked about it with Tyler 
in that if you compare the two managers between Jurgen Klopp, who has kind of this perception in the media that he's this world beater and has taken Liverpool to great new heights, and you compare him to his record with, uh, or compare the record between him and Mourinho, Mourinho actually has more trophies <laughs> yeah. during that time period. He's had a comparable number of wins. So it's a lot about media perception. Yeah, it, it, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but this past season, or this last season, right, the season before this one, we had some silverwares, right? Like, we were second in the league. Um, and that's not, like, why... Mourinho made enemy of the press, right? And that's never a good thing. So that he probably had that going against him. But it doesn't change the fact that people should respect him as a great manager and um, as a pl- as a as someone who's never been like a star player that has kind of like risen his uh, you know risen to the stardom um, after after his brief like playing career i mean you gotta like really give it to that guy like he deserves so much credit and he he has done so much for man united that i'll forever be thankful for yeah i mean you i and i'm kind of curious to see where he ends up post man U because he's still trying to figure it out I'm not exactly sure where he's going to end up. I'll tell you where he ended up. Uh, he's, I think, if I'm correct, he's uh, one of the announcers for the Asian Cup. Yeah, I, I did notice that. Yeah. That was a little... To fill the void a little bit. I yeah, guess. that was interesting. And we'll probably touch on the Asian yeah. Cup, too, um, later in the podcast. But I think it's going to be interesting to see and figure out where he ends up managing next season and it maybe he wants to take a break and do his announcing thing but there are a lot of rumors whether or not he goes to real madrid benfica benfica going to his own old stomping grounds there where he got his start and i think that would be a really interesting fit as well and it seems like manu's happy with where they're at with skullscar um, do you feel like because I haven't talked to you about uh, about the new appointment mm-hmm. at all? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like he's a viable long term manager for Man U? Because I know me and Tyler outlined in a couple podcasts ago where we talked about whether or not he's a long term viable option, and this was pretty immediately <coughs> after he got hired. And now he's kind of had this run of good results. Do you feel like he's shown enough in these four results? And obviously he's going to have to show more in the second half of the season. But if this is a sign of things to come for the second half of the season, do you feel like it would be enough for him to keep the job? Or would you like to see some other manager be brought in? Uh, I'll... I'll defer my answer until uh, our next podcast. Okay, just because, because I, to- yeah, the because the big the big game that is coming up is the Tottenham Man U game uh, this weekend. Yeah, 
and we'll preview that a little bit later on, later on in the podcast, but it totally makes sense. And and we still don't know if, you know, the players playing better is a result of Mourinho leaving. As in like they uh they're now playing to their full potential because they want to, mm-hmm. right? Um or if it's the new management clicking better. Um, or if it's just against not great competition. Right. So I'll defer my, my answer until next time. Um, I do want to talk about Pogba. Uh, yeah, he's a, a complete, he's a completely different player. Completely different. I, I still can't forgive him. Uh, for um, the acting the way he did, right when Mourinho was still in charge. Yeah, he wasn't a team player. And when he got, f- uh, when he was let go, right? Did you see his Instagram? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why don't you, you describe it for the? Yeah, people, if you yeah. guys don't know what it is, basically he he right after Mourinho was sacked, um, he posted uh, a picture of him on Instagram and Twitter with the caption that said caption this. And it was him like smirking to the camera. And he claims that it was like part of like the Adidas like or ad campaign. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't buy it. Right. Like who? There was definitely double messaging. there. Yeah. I mean, Um, so it. I don't know. Yes, he's a good player. He's a quality player. I, I've, if you hear, if you listen to any of the podcasts that I was on and talking about Pogba, I've o- always said I want to see more of him, right? Or mm-hmm. he can do better, or he can do more. Not like, oh, he's such a bad player, mm. right? I never bad like I never questioned his potential or his quality. It was that he can do better. Right. Um, and his off-pitch behavior can be improved. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think I necessarily disagree with that and that notion at all, but the change is so night and day between Mourinho and Skullscar, and it almost seems like Pogba had to have quit under what under Mourinho and just kind of given up because the produ- level of production that he's having under Skullscar is just so night and day in, compares- in comparison to how he played under Mourinho. And just like the level of ability, ability to get into um, just like working on, yeah, yeah, just get, I don't know, it's, it's just so different. Uh, I mean, I, I can tell you that under Skullscar, the squad is built around Pogba, right? So Lukaku doesn't start anymore. Yeah, Rashford, Rashford starting. Rashford starting yeah, over yeah. Lukaku. Um, and uh, Fred isn't playing anymore. It's Matic and who is supporting him from behind alongside Matic? Um, Anders. Isn't uh, it Herrera? Uh, and the Herrera, yeah, right? and the Herrera. So, 
like Pogba has the freedom to kind of roam free, forward, yeah, free, yeah. yeah, free roam. He's uh, playing more of a number ten role, right? I believe, yeah. and and that's what he wanted from the beginning. Yeah, being right? being further up the yeah. pitch. Yep. So I think he's he has a freedom, and and you can feel or you can see that the ball is really coming to him a lot more, right? He's he's made a lot of uh, more key passes, and he's had a lot more touches. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, I'm excited to see how Manchester United will will. Um, will uh, face Tottenham. Uh, it, like you said, it, it's gonna be the big test. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I, I think one question that I did kind of want to go back to regarding the manager role slash position is: Do you like what Skullscar is doing with the team in terms of the way it's being set up and being able to center around center center the formation around Pogba and kind of utilize his abilities. I think it makes sense, right? Um it gets your it gets your favorite striker off the field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but another change about the formation, Lukaku doesn't move out wide. Mhm. Right, he's always staying central when he's on. Yeah, and he scored what, like three or four goals already. Yeah, it's impressive. Honestly. Um, in the limited amount of minutes that he's been given, right? So it's like, I think Skullsgard knows how to utilize Lukaku a little bit better than Mourinho did. Yeah, and almost maybe having that uh, striker kind of bond with Lukaku. Yeah. As a, as a super sub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And un- that kind of understanding. And and then one last question that I did want to ask. If Skullscar isn't the manager after this year, who's the manager that you would want? Because me and Tyler kind of broke it down and, and we were talking about throwing around all different o- options. Like we're talking about Gareth, Gareth Woodgate. Yeah. Um, or Southgate, sorry. <laughs> I don't Southgate. know why I said Woodgate. Gareth Southgate. Uh, we also talked about Eddie Howe, Zinedine Zidane. I mean, there's like a whole host of characters that would love to be the next Man U uh, manager. So I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on if you had to handicap it. And I know you said you would hold your uh, judgment slash reservation on Skullscar. But I think I'm asking an entirely different question in that if you had if you were Ed Woodward, basically, and I know how much you despise me saying that statement, who would you put in charge? Who would you put in charge of this man new team? I think Zidane is the only character that can really command respect from a player like Pogba, mm-hmm. right? Just from the sheer, like, what he's achieved in his player career and his manager career. And also being French, too. I think that right. that's that's another added connection exactly. there as so well. I, I, I think Zidane will know how to um, like work with Pogba. Mm-hmm. That being said, I've heard rumors. I think I've said this before. Uh, he doesn't... Zidane, one of his uh, requests is that uh, Pogba be sold. If he were to take the job, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, it's a, it's one of it's the rumors. Interesting, interesting wrinkle. Um, apparently, he doesn't tolerate like a player like that, mm-hmm. right? Which makes sense. Yeah, I think. I mean, when thinking about this manager position a, a little bit more, 
It seems like Man U fans are clamoring for who's going to be that next Sir Alex Ferguson. And unfortunately for normal clubs, there is no usual, usually there's no one guy that ends up staying for 20 ish years or however, however long Sir Alex stayed for. That's all. That's an anomaly. (laughs) I mean, and that never ends up happening. We were hoping that Mourinho was going to be the next. Right, Sir right. Alex. Exactly. Right. And it's not like Zidane has really shown a track record of staying at a place for a long time, especially in his only managing stint with Real Madrid. He he was like, all right, I'm leaving at the top, but it was only four years. Mm. So maybe there's some concern there as to whether or not he can have the longevity at Man U that a lot of fans would want. And there's talk about wanting that longevity that they might be able to get from someone like Eddie Howe or Maurizio uh, Pochettino, Mm. uh, the Tottenham manager. And maybe that's something a little bit more appealing to um, Man U fans. Like, and me and me and Tyler rehashed this uh, before, but, we don't under we wouldn't understand why Pochettino would leave that situation in Tottenham, especially with what he's built there and what he started there. It just wouldn't make sense to jump ship now, especially with him not really winning anything in at Tottenham. So it'd almost feel like he failed because he didn't complete the task. And I think he would love to win a Premier League title with that Tottenham team, just to say he built this team from almost the ground up. And, I mean, if he's refused offers from Real Madrid, I don't think he'll take... The man new job. Yeah, just just to leave domestically. Yeah. So, Um, yeah, I mean, mean, that's all I really wanted to get your thoughts on. So, Hedrin's still out on... uh, Still in on um, (laughs) Mourinho. I mean, I'm still bitter about the way they let Mourinho go. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. It was a derby game, and and we lost pretty mm. pretty badly, and possibly changing his mind on Pogba, <laughs> and he is still relatively out on Lukaku, which is fascinating. And I'm kind of curious what what ends up happening in the transfer window, but we'll talk about that later. I did want to get into yeah, the let's li- talk about Liverpool. Liverpool and how they're on top, and they're on top. But I mean, they kind of they lost their first game against Man City in their last game. Um, Bit of a concern, but not like everyone was texting me knowing how big of a Liverpool fan I am and asking, Kevin, are you nervous now? Man City's only four points behind, all this type of stuff. They could have put the league away if they ended up beating Man City. That game was always going to be a tough game at the Etihad. It was was away for Liverpool. Um, Away games against probably the next the the other title contender in the league this year along with Tottenham is always going to be an extremely tough match to win and they ended up tying 1-1 or they were tied 1-1 for a bit and then kind of gave up that goal well uh, i was surprised uh that you know you guys didn't come out with your best 11 yeah and i think that's where I'm a little bit confused and not upset, but I think I would have liked to see something a little bit more positive coming out of Liverpool because we've seen what that lineups looked like when Shakiri's in for um, 
Jordan Henderson or James Milner. And that's that midfield three of Wijnaldum, Milner, and Henderson has worked throughout this whole year pretty much. And that's been the starting midfield three for a majority of the season. And I could kind of understand Klopp keeping that midfield three even though, and with it being a little bit more defensive, especially being away at Man City, but I would have loved to see something a little bit more positive um, in that lineup because Shakiri's looked really, really good for Liverpool, and the way he's positioned himself, kind of as the as the I don't know that floating midfield role, um, that attacking midfield role, and then had maybe Henderson and Milner behind him or Henderson, Firmino, or uh, Fabinho, or Fabinho and Milner, I think that would have been really fascinating, kind of let those front four do that, do the attacking work, and then kind, and have Fabinho and uh, Henderson clean up behind him. I thought uh, the midfield were too slow for Man City, right? Mm -hmm. Henderson's kind of getting slow, Henderson's slow. Uh, Milner is getting really slow. Milner is uh, getting older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Autumn isn't the fastest player out there, so I was surprised at the fact that like all these three defensive players who don't have the quickest feet, if they get beat, I mean, there's no way to really recover from that. Yeah, and and they're missing like Liverpool is missing a player like someone like Oxley Chamberlain would have been great in this game. Mm. Um, I mean, he's been out for a long time. Even Shakiri, I would have loved to see see him feature a little bit more prominent, prominently in the game and started the game. But Klopp hasn't really made a bad decision all year, so I'm kind of giving him a pass on this one, even though it's like the biggest game of the year. And while it was frustrating to be able to see that happen, it just it, if it's almost like it's too good to be true at this point for a Liverpool fan, so I'll take what I can get. Uh, I'll tell you a fun fact. Okay, tell me, tell me the fun fact. Uh, Liverpool is uh, either the only club or one of one of out of uh, one out of two clubs to uh, not win the title. Yep, and I've going heard into. Uh, after they've been Le- first on bo- after Boxing Day. Yeah, I think it's in the past 10 years, yeah. eight teams have won the title once they've led after Boxing Day. The only two times that it hasn't happened, it was both Liverpool. Yeah. So, so that's that. that's that's a ton of worry. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious how in the second half of the season, my expectations for... They ended up losing in the uh, FA Club uh, third round. Liverpool did two w- Wolves um, earlier this week. So I'm not too upset about that because that's less games for us. And they really need to focus on Champions League and winning the league. Like, I honestly wouldn't care if they even flamed out against Bayern Munich in Champions League. But if they were able to get the Premier League title this year, then I think all would be forgiven regardless of all the stuff that ended up happening in other cups and um, other competitions. So if you're a club, right? Yeah. Um, would you literally just not really care about 
the Champions League if that meant that you're going to surely win the league? Hell yeah. Well, because Liverpool hasn't won anything yeah. in a long time, unfor- and that's like very unfortunate to say. The last major thing that Liverpool has won is that Champions League title a while ago now. Mm-hmm. I would say 10, 10-ish years. No, even longer than that. Close to 15. Mm-hmm. So that's been the last time Liverpool's been on that type of stage. And if Liverpool is able to guarantee or even close to guarantee a Premier League title that they haven't won in this modern era, then I'm taking it because then they, they're able to do that. And I know big clubs don't technically do that. They they play all the competitions straight up, play with their best players. But I wouldn't be too opposed to that, honestly. Okay, fair enough. I mean, uh, if we could get a title out of it, I would be very happy. Uh, I mean, sure, but Champions League is one of... I know, it's a prestigious... But I don't think Klopp, like, making that run in the Champions League last year in the finals, I think he proved that he was able to that he was able to make a deep run in the Champions League. It's not like it's not like there's any question there, oh, it, can he compete against Europe's best? So that's I think that's almost a saving grace for him in that yeah, he can he has that equity um for Liverpool. But it couldn't it be seen as being inconsistent in the European uh Champions League? Oh yeah, totally. But at least they made it out of. I mean, barely. La- yeah, barely <laughs> made it out. At least they made it out. And I think last month there that was real concern at whether or not they made it out. So anything past this o- is almost gravy because of the opponent that they're playing in Bayern. So I wouldn't. It's like I don't know how how they're favored in that matchup. They probably aren't. They're probably the underdogs in the matchup there. So. That wouldn't be that that big of a surprise if they lost that tie and then really just focus their energy on the Premier League season. Fair enough. Um. Yeah, but, I mean, the, so the two games that the Arsenal game the before the Man City game, they looked amazingly good, and they went down early um, in that game 1-0, and then they just kind of turned it on and scored, like, four straight goals, and they looked extremely impressive in that game. But the Man City game, they looked a little bit more stagnant. They're coming up against a better team. Um, honestly, talent-wise, they're probably more talented all over the pitch, Man City-wise, just because of the amount of money that they have to afford all the these world-class players. And they didn't even play some of the, their guys. Like, if you just look at their bench, it's like oozing with talent. And we've talked about it all year. And Man City kind of had that struggle with some of the lower um, mid-table type teams. So I wouldn't be opposed to really just kind of riding this Premier League wave out. And hopefully they're able to win the games they should win. And that's always been the worry for Liverpool. Um, Whether it is tying these teams that they shouldn't be tying, losing the one-off game against like a a Fulham or, or Southampton. And those are the games that they can't lose or tie. Like, I can accept the ties and losses against 
Man City, against Tottenham, against like the traditional big boys. But if they're starting to lose or tie to teams like Watford or Burnmouth, and while they're having good seasons, those are teams that Liverpool shouldn't be tying or losing to. Well, here's hoping that you guys slip just like last time. Oh, man. Of course, the Steven Gerrard <laughs> reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're handicapped, I think it brings up a couple interesting questions. If you're handicapping the second half of the season with how the teams have played accordingly up to this point, what are your predictions for the second half of the season? Slash, how do you think the final four ends up? The top four. Ooh, let's see. Um, because as currently constituted, I know Liverpool's at number one. I love saying that. Man City's at two. And then Tottenham's at three. Chelsea's at four. Um, I believe Arsenal's at five. And then um, Man, U. Man U's at six. So there's a lot of... I think there's a lot to be said as to what can possibly happen. So I'm kind of curious to see how everything plays out. But if you're giving your top four as of today, January 10th, and we are recording this at 10.20 on January 10th, who's your top four? Who are you taking? And list the order that they will finish in. Uh, starting with number four. Starting with number four. Okay. And uh, then go working your way up. Man United. Okay, there's a lot of confidence. What's the gap between Man U and fourth right now? Uh, six points. Okay, so it's not it's insurmountable. Not, yeah. Insurmountable. Um, let's see. Yeah, Man U. Okay. I would say uh, Tottenham. And number three. And l- number three. Liverpool. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay, Liverpool at number two, and then Man City Man at City one. on top. Yeah, yeah. It does. It's not surprising. And all year, I've been very hesitant to put my eggs in the Liverpool finishing uh, the job and winning the league because of all the bad history slash juju they've had in the past, but. I'm starting to believe if you had to push me into corner into the corner, I think Liverpool can finish the job and they'll be at number one. Number two, I have Man City, and I think it's going to be extremely tight. I I think I'm kind of expecting Liverpool to lose or tie a couple games they shouldn't, and Man City to take advantage. But I think Liverpool will be able to pull it out. So Liverpool one, Man City two. And then Tottenham at number three. The number four spot's going to be really fascinating to me to see um, between Chelsea, Man U, and Arsenal. I think it's really going to be coming down to, and I know Arsenal's played decently well this year. I don't fully believe in that team, just with the way they played against um, Liverpool. Some of their fullback depth is severely lacking and I that's that's like a huge concern for me a lot of guys are injured for them so I think it's ultimately going to come down to Man U and Chelsea and I think I'm almost in agreement with you that I'm going to be taking Man U over Chelsea but it's just 
dependent on how this form continues and the way that they've been playing thus far, it's impressive. They they're beating teams in terms of the goal differential over the past four games has been incredibly impressive um, to the point where they're beating teams like a league leader should be beating those lower level teams. And I'll, I'll tell you why uh, Chelsea and Arsenal are not in my top uh, top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because they're playing obviously Europa League, right? Which they play on Thursdays. When right Thursdays? Thursday night. So it's yeah. the l- one last day of rest for right. those weekend games. And those kind of fatigue adds up. And for a club like Arsenal or even Chelsea, they probably can't afford to crash out of Europa early or they'll risk being in Europa next year again. Right. And I think I think for Arsenal, that will be more of a concern because I think Arsenal will have to stay in that competition a lot longer just by the fact of they might fall off a little bit yeah. in the league. But Chelsea, it, it's al- they're almost in a precarious situation because there's almost no incentive to go for the Europa League title if they're sitting like six points clear, um, sitting in fourth right now. So if they're at sitting at fourth, they'll get a Champions League um, spot. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Maurizio Sarri kind of what what he does with his lineup and rosters during those Europa League games and then how he's able to rotate in that squad because he's been rotating a little bit, but he's kept up with that same base, um, especially on the outside with his fullbacks. The thing is, if they don't make it to the Champions League next year or if they're not guaranteed a spot, Hazard is not staying. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, that's probably a concern for Sarri. Um, I mean, he's the only guy in Chelsea that they can really rely on at this point. Um, they got, uh, I mean, Pe- Pedro and uh, Willian are getting older, right? So that that's why they got, we'll get to. And it, I, th- I, I think we just, should just get to it yeah, now. It nicely transitions to yeah. that. Yeah, it nicely transitions to um, a lot of the transfer stuff that ends up ha- that ended up happening over the first, I would say, 10 days of the transfer period. And so for those listeners that don't know what a transfer period is, this is when teams can bring players from other squads. So it's very different from the professional sports in North America where there's like a, or a trade trade deadline, things like that. And, and everything before the trade deadline is fair game and you can make trades and signings and all that type of stuff. For international soccer, specifically the European leagues, like the Premier League, like basically every league outside of the MLS, um, there's designated periods of time when teams are allowed to bring in players if they're not if they're with or signed to a club. So if you're a free agent, you could sign whenever you want pretty much. But if you're signed to a club and contracted under a club, there's only certain periods that you're allowed to move teams. And that includes this January transfer period. So during the month of January, you're allowed to move teams, whether or not you do that now or the way it's contracted and you move in the summer. 
And then the other period is during the summertime after the domestic leads, leagues are over and then before um, the season starts for the next year, which is a three mo- rel- like a three-month period from like May to August or May to se- uh, beginning of September. So those are the two periods. And this m- January period is usually a time where not many huge moves are made, but they're moves that are made supplementing people or teams' campaigns um, depending on how they're doing in the league thus far. Or like even injuries. Right, Um, right, exactly. So they're kind of taking stock of how their team is doing and supplementing from there. uh, I mean, there have been, you know, very interesting and, and weird January transfer window Ozil, times. right? Yeah. Um, Big players, too. Yeah. Uh, and that happened, I think, at the right near the deadline. Yeah, yeah. And it was a shock. Yeah. It was, a it was like shocking. nobody saw it coming. Right. Um, so, and like the most, I would say the most interesting, interesting time is obviously the last day when that's when like. It's almost like, like the hundreds tr- of deals go go through. And right. It's like yeah. the trade deadline um, for the NBA yeah. when like multiple trades happen. Same with the MLB when multiple trades happen during the deadline period. Um, but there are always rumors that that. Um, well, let's yeah, let's let's uh, let's, talk yeah, let's, let's talk about, about Pulisic. Pulisic first, because I think that's the one big signing of this period thus far i think he's gone for the most money um uh, in the in the transfer window thus far he went for i think it was officially 58 million Mm. pounds or and then it it's like 73 million dollars um u.s dollars so (laughs) i don't know it seems like a ridiculous figure what are your general thoughts on that? Because you you were alluding to it before with Hazard, with Eden Hazard, possibly leaving if Chelsea doesn't make a Champions League for next year, um, especially with Chelsea having not made it this pa- or for this season and then playing in Europa League competition. I can't imagine Hazard being happy playing Europa League um, in the Europa League competition. And then if he'd had to play it for two straight years, I th- that just seems like too big of a stretch. So there's been rumors about him going to Real. But they bring in Christian Pulisic to basically mitigate that loss if that happens over the summer. I don't think he's worth that money, at least not yet. I think on the field he's not worth no. that money. Right. Uh, sure, there's... There's gonna be a lot more Chelsea fans in the U.S. now, just like the ha- worst, the worst. Yeah, just like how uh, there were a lot of Everton fans when when Tim Howard was there, or when um, what's his name? Oh my God, uh, Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan. Yeah. Um. So like you get all these bandwagoners, right? Which I don't mind. I I'm I'm happy to talk shit about Chelsea fans. Uh. Especially the bandwagon fans when and when Pulisic uh, officially comes to Chelsea, uh-huh. but I don't know. I I just don't think he's that kind of caliber yet, right? And I mean, we'll we'll see how he closes the rest of the season out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just think Chelsea made too made this move way too hastily. I and I think that he was the hot signing that was there were rumors that he was leaving um Borussia Dortmund um and he was willing to he's kind of lost his place at Dortmund to this young kid from England named Jaden Sancho and Borussia kind of does it again with like the way they like flip properties almost in that I think they bought Sancho for like seven million dollars mm-hmm. from Man City so Man City they got to be kicking themselves um kind of being like man, we sold this kid for like seven mil and he's basically become this 50, $60 million player over the course of half a season. And Kulisic has lost his spot to him. He doesn't look like he has grown that much in comparison to past seasons. And that's got to be somewhat of a concern for, for Chelsea and it's not like he's going to be given a spot at Chelsea. Um, he's going to have to fight for his place, um, especially with uh, some of the talented guys, especially if Hazard stays in that attack. And Pulisic likes to play on the left wing, and Chelsea plays like a 4-3-3, so he'll try to take one of those wing positions um, on on the wings, whether it be competing with uh, Hazard, Willian, and Pedro. So I want. I'm kind of curious to see um, how he inserts himself. Yeah, and, and the concern is that he's not like a utility pr- player, right? He can't play elsewhere other than out in the wings. Yeah, I mean a little bit as a number ten up the middle, but he that not was mostly with the U.S. Men's yeah. National Team. So and I would say his best positions on the left wing. So, so yeah, I mean. He has that going against him, so I mean, it, it's all gonna depend on whether Hazard leaves or not. Now that's gonna be the the kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sold on the idea of of him coming to Chelsea or going to Chelsea for for that amount of money. But I mean, who knows? Like Dortmund is known for developing really yeah. great guys, and I mean, off the field, it makes a ton of sense for Chelsea with the amount of extra revenue that they would probably bring in from all these influx of U.S. new U.S. fans. Can you and imagine like the the preseason tours that they're ex- gonna have here? Preseason tours, like just selling the amount of Chelsea Pulisic jerseys, is gonna be insane. Mm-hmm. Also, just raising the visibility of the club internationally, um, especially in North America, because of how how Christian Pulisic has been marketed in the U.S. as almost this the best player that the the most talented player that the U.S. has ever had, and almost the savior for the next generation of U.S. soccer. I wonder how much Nike had to do with this. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure if it was like a marketing ploy by them and talking with them, but it seemed like at least some of the comments from what Pulisic has said is that it was a purely football type of decision. I mean, you you have to say that. Right, right. 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 Um I I, I w- the reason why I brought up Nike was because uh Nike sponsors Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And it's known uh that like these uniform sponsors or um like Nike or Adidas can have a say in 
in or have an influence on where the players are going to move, right? So, for example, Juventus, mm-hmm. right? Adidas, uh, uh, Pogba went to Man U, and because like, of the Adidas connection, right? So it's, there's like a little bit of connection there, and apparently that, that it's not. Um, they do have a say or play a part in trying to sway those decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like a bonus money or or some. I don't know, higher sponsorship kind of money, but... Right. I mean, Pulisic's dad just started a, a podcast, actually, kind of coming oh, up on... Our, yeah, he did coming up on his ter- on our territory, so maybe we could get a response from him, go, <laughs> hop on the podcast, do a collaboration with him. I know he had uh, Christian, their, his son, on their podcast, so it was an interesting listen. Definitely send it to you guys. Um, give it a listen and see what that's like. But... I, I I mean, there's other transfer news that's out there, but I think that was like the one big thing that we definitely had to talk about because I think there was initial sh- like sticker shock um, with the price tag of how much Pulisic went for. And I'm, it's not that I'm shocked that he went for that price because it just seems like every year the price for these players are going up, up, up. But with what he's shown thus far at Dortmund, it doesn't seem like he's he's worth the price at the moment, but he could definitely be worth a ton more than that if he fulfills his potential. Well, we talked about... Especially with his age, too. How old is he? 20. 20? Yeah. He's not even old enough, old enough to drink He might have just turned 21. Okay. Yeah. That is... That is a lot of money, yeah. And very, but he's still very young. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a gamble, and it's, I feel like it's too high of a risk mm-hmm. for me. I think. Yeah, and I mean, as a U.S. soccer fan, I'm just hoping he succeeds well, because yeah. it makes if he's able to succeed at a big club like Chelsea, then that just kind of makes it so much easier for U.S. talent to. Get looks out there as well and get yeah. opportunities. And next season, I'll definitely be paying more attention to Chelsea games too. Oh yeah, I I feel like I'm not gonna not that I would be a pseudo Chelsea fan, no, but it's but gonna be something that I watch and monitor yeah. very carefully. Um, so Christian Pulisic coming to EPL, but we have we do have uh, a couple players leaving. Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, Ramsey. your favorite Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> I probably your fav- your favorite player from my outside of Man Probably Mania. one of my favorite midfielders. Um, mm. He single handedly won me the Fantasy our inaugural. Parole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, I don't know. Like he's always been put on the back burner a little bit uh, in mm-hmm. Arsenal, which I didn't think uh, he deserved that at all. Mm. I think he deserved to play, you know, as much as he could. Um, I would have loved to see him in man like at Man U, uh, wearing that that red jersey. But uh, he's going to Juventus at the end of the season. Five years. Yeah, I mean he's always been super talented. It's always been about his health and whether or not he can kind of stave off injuries because it just seems like whenever he played and was healthy on the field, he had that creative spark to and and this almost attack like really direct attacking style that Arsenal really loves and craves out of their players. And he really fit that system well when he was able to play. 
but he was injured far too often and wasn't able to get consistently get playing time. Yeah, and <sighs> which is frustrating because it, he's such a talented player. It is. Um I mean, Arsenal has had their own number of <laughs> midfielders being in injured. Um, but I feel like Arsenal should have treated Ramsey a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping he gets a little bit more playing time and he can start uh, at, at Juventus, even though I feel like Juventus is on a higher level than Arsenal usually. Um yeah, and maybe the pace would is gonna favor him yeah. a little bit more in the Italian. League. Well, he's gonna have to compete with the likes of like Kadira, uh, Pjanic. Right. Um, I don't know who else is there at the moment. Uh, Bentoncourt. Like there, there's, um, there's some guys yeah. in that midfield that are players, but I think he provides something a little bit different from Kadira, who's more of a holding midfield yeah. player. Um, Pjanic kind of is a box to box midfielder. He. I mean, he has the vision, can pass, all that stuff. But I think Ramsey can kind of play a little bit more forward um, in comparison to those players. So I'm kind of curious to see how he ends up playing. And I'm, I, he might be one of those super sub type of players uh, for Juventus and adds a little bit of something different. And speaking of Juventus, like, I mean, there's other transfers and we could get back to it. But I did want to kind of add this because... Today, as of January 10th, um, there's an ESPN article about Cristiano Ronaldo getting in trouble. Well, not even getting in trouble, but this has been like an ongoing story slash issue about him uh, possibly raping someone. And I mean, obviously, that it kind of take <laughs> it, it's kind of taken a, a darker turn uh, with this story, especially because of um the serious nature of the allegations that are being put forth. But the Las Vegas DA's office, I think, has submitted a request for Cristiano Ronaldo to submit to DNA test um, to see if that DNA matches up with the DNA that ended up on, um, I think, the woman who is accusing him her dress so there it's it's an interesting story to follow because it's way bigger than soccer and it brings about a ton of different questions um i think broader questions in that hopefully this this thing what whatever ends up happening the truth ends up ends up coming out and i think another question it brings about is a lot of this hero complex between these famous athletes and they're raised up like gods or treated like gods and things like that. And whether or not as fans, we have a moral obligation to hold these guys up to a higher standard or to a certain standard because of where they're at in society so I'm very curious to see how that ends up playing out, how that ends up affecting his popularity, his brand deals, his all that type of stuff, because it's an interesting story to follow because he's uh, one of probably the best players in the world still um, and probably a top two player along with Messi. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this one bit. Um, a lot of athletes especially um, gets they 
whatever they do off the field kind of gets looked over, right? If they're playing well on on the field or on the court, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I can think of maybe someone like Derek Jeter who was very uh, he went around a lot. He's had a lot of scandals. Same thing with uh, I A-Rod. Mean, he ne- the, like, the Derek Jeter stuff never came up, though. No. Like, like, I think there's rumors, but there were never, like, it was never things like he raped someone or, like, nothing, like, to that extent. Right. Um, I guess I'm kind of defending a, a Yankee <laughs> because I'm a Yankee fan. But, but like, but here's, more here's sp- like, I think the apt comparison is someone like Tiger Woods or something okay. like that. But, like... Um, I'll hold my tongue until you know everything is is you know presented in in mm-hmm. a very factual way. Um, but as soon as those facts are out, we like you said have a moral obligation to kind of keep, uh, no matter if you're a fan or not, like to keep them accountable. No, nobody's above the law, right? Mm-hmm. No one should be, and they deserve to be tried um, the same way that we should be tried. Because I feel like some athletes, or most athletes, and even celebrities, oh, get a pass in, right. in that arena. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, it's tough to kind of. I mean, I think definitely in the ju- in the justice system, different people are treated differently. Uh, that needs to be fixed. But like I said, once the truth comes out and once all the facts come forward, I'm very curious to see how it all plays out. Um, because this has been an ongoing story for a while, but there hasn't been a ton of news about it, um, especially if this was a story, let's say, about, I don't know, talk about a football player. Like, one of the most, like, if it was about, like, Russell Wilson or if it was about Aaron mm, Rodgers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If it was about one of those guys, then it would just be a constant story every single day. Now, we're not in Italy, so we don't know if that's something, maybe that's what he's dealing with in Italy. But in U.S. news, it has barely made a blip on our radar screens. Well, going back to the transfer uh, news. What a transition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another player leaving uh, the EPL, Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, and that was an emotional... Yeah, last appearance for I, him. I, th- I think so. I mean, um, he's going to Monaco, which is great. He's going to be working with uh, Henri. Um, yeah, that Arsenal connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but he's. I don't know. He, he. To me, he. He's still like that. That like twenty-something-year-old, like. You know, like tearing up in the EPL, not like some washed-up older player who's who's looking at the twilight of his career for some reason. Yeah, and, I mean, he, he like, burst onto the scene with Arsenal when he was, like, 16 years old. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing what he's been able to do in his career thus far. And I hope that when as he transitions over to Monaco that he's able to find uh, some level of success there and be able to kind of um, have, like, a late, late career renaissance um so i wish all the best to him because he was one of those players that was so creative in the middle of the field had the vision to make the simple pass but also make the extraordinary pass so i think he's one of those guys that i'm 
it's it's almost sad that he's kind of it's kind of ended like this, but I wish him the best. Who would you who do you like better, Ozil or Fabregas? I mean, at at their peak or yeah, right now? At their peak. Oh man, that's <laughs> such a they played different positions, I would say, because Fabregas, I would say, was a little bit more box deeper, to box yeah. and played played a deeper role. I I always like Fabregas's games just yeah. because of like the way he just tempo wise he controlled the game. Whereas Ozil was a I I felt like Ozil would come in and out of games sometimes. It would yeah. just be more. Um, he would have brilliant plays and flashes of brilliance but maybe not the consistency that Fabregas would have er, on the imprint of a game. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah, I would. I guess I would take Fabregas as well. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about all these rumors now. Because, okay. like, you brought up Ozil. Like, yeah. there's rumors about flying about him going somewhere. Are there any other rumors that have kind of piqued your interest? Uh... There is um, Bachuai, Michel, uh, Michi, yeah, yeah, Michi Bachuai, yeah. Uh, he's on loan to uh to Valencia right now mm. in Chelsea. They're talk talking about bringing him back. I mean, if you're on loan, like they can bring you back at any time. But I guess uh they ne- they're in dire need of a striker right yeah, now. Yeah, Morata hasn't cut it really uh-uh. um, um, with this team and Giroud. Uh, obviously can't play like all the games full 90 minutes right so i guess they would need uh someone like bachuai to come back and score some goals uh also coming out of chelsea we have a lot of chelsea news today yeah i know Um, seriously there might be talks that uh um david luis might be leaving Mm -hmm. to benfica yep um i i've heard talks about hudson odai um who's their young winger possibly going abroad as well too mm. uh, i think it was to either Bayern or maybe real or something like that so there's like a ton of rumors flying around with all these players as you can see the way we've talked about chelsea uh during this podcast there's just like all these rumors flying around um it liver for liverpool it seems like a pretty quiet transfer window on liverpool's front yeah. other than they ended up loaning out nathaniel klein which I don't necessarily agree with um, in that I think Klein could have been a useful depth piece, especially going into um, Champions League, I would say, um, Champions League knockout rounds and then the busyness of the Premier League schedule. I just felt like he would have been adequate cover as a left back and a right back um, because Joe Gomez has been out for because he broke a leg yep. so and had a, a stress fracture. So he would have provided adequate cover, but now we're going to be relying on Alberto Moreno. And God forbid, if a right back gets injured, maybe James Milner or Fabinho <laughs> might have to cover at right back. So that, I mean, I'm not exactly sure why Klopp kind of let Klein go. Klein hadn't been getting that many minutes, but when he did, I think he ended up having a start um, a couple of games ago for Liverpool and filled in adi- I think it was against that Man City or Man U game mm-hmm. and he filled in adequately against Man U was able to get a win he looked relatively good I th- I would say he looked good for not having played in 
um, a competitive Premier League match in a long, long time. So I was impressed with him. So I was a little puzzled by that move. But I was extremely happy with the next move with uh, Liverpool selling Dominic Solanke for 19 million, I think it was euros or pounds, for uh, to Bournemouth again. And Solanke had scored only one goal in his Liverpool senior career. And while he's a talented young forward, he was just behind a bunch of other guys. He was probably the fourth choice um, forward or center forward behind Firmino, behind uh, Sturridge and also Origi. So it's not he was a little stuck and wasn't able to get his foot in the door and get enough playing time for Liverpool. So I think it's a good move for him overall to try to continue his development and Liverpool made out, um, especially being able to recoup uh, that transfer money. I think that's it for rumors right now. It's, I would say it's been one of the slowest transfer windows. Yeah. I think it's a little quieter, but I think at the end of the month, uh, oh, we'll yeah. probably recap, uh, do probably a trade or a transfer deadline special and kind of analyze all the craziness of moves that we're anticipating on the last day of January. I mean, uh, those those who follow, uh, you know, football, uh, you gotta, you guys are going to want to pay attention on the transfer windows, uh, like the deadline. Um Sky Sports and I think you, Kevin, you said BBC. Yeah, has a great like timeline or like uh, Who's live feed. Every yeah, day. yeah. Uh, and literally, it, like, it comes in like seconds. Like, s- somebody signed where and somebody's being traded and like, it's it's insane. And I love, uh, I love following. Yeah, it. it's very it's very interesting. But you have to watch out for your sources um, because there's crazy rumors flying everywhere. Like. Christian Eriksen possibly going to Real Madrid mm-hmm. for like two hundred twenty-five million. So you really have to watch out where you get your sources because um, I think sometimes it's hard to differentiate between some of the rumors and the actual transfers yeah. that end up happening. So Hedrin, before we end up closing this podcast, I did want to touch upon for maybe five minutes or so, touch upon the Asian Cup. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Because um, after this weekend, Son Heung-min, who plays for Tottenham, who's been on a tear lately, probably in the last ten games or so for Tottenham, is leaving Tottenham to go fulfill his duties with the South Korean national team and be able to possibly bring home an Asian Cup and. I'm not exactly sure I agree with the decision for him to go there just because of Tottenham being in the title race. And I'm sure Pochettino doesn't want to lose him to um, Korea. So they kind of worked out this agreement where he would miss the group games, I believe, and then join Korea for for the knockout stages. Um, Well, it's... A FIFA sanctioned match, so you know Tottenham has no control over where the player, whether the player can go or stay. Yeah, because he was already called in, um, and I think it's, I I don't know how you feel about these international competitions, um, 
like the Asian Cup and like the African Cup being in the middle of the season and not kind of falling in line with playing in the summer? I think that's FIFA not really care caring about those um, those regions as much. Mm-hmm. Um, like Concacaf does it in the summer, but or like and with the Gold Cup, right? Um, so it's almost an easy fix. I would I feel like yeah. Um, but because it takes these players away from uh, their club teams, like I know for the African Cup, God forbid Liverpool is gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> um, with Mane and Salah, that's like two thirds of our of our strike force. Um, so like you, some of these important players are being taken away from their club teams. I mean, Son is like the big guy because he plays on an elite Premier League team. Um, he's been having some pretty good success as well. Um, so, I mean, these guys are missing valuable time with their club teams. Well. What I'm really worried about is is you know players uh, from other countries trying to injure him, mm-hmm. right? Because that's, I mean, that's a real concern. Like that's a real thing. Like um, Chinese players are not to like knock on them, but they're known to play a little rough, mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, even like players uh, from like Iran or are in the Middle East, they tend to play a little rough in the beginning so i I'm, I'm hoping that he comes back healthy uh, yeah healthy i mean that's probably like Tottenham's biggest concern now that the military service is out of the way right and then the amount of games that they're going to be playing over a stretch of time is going to be if korea makes it all the way to the finals is going to be a decent amount of games so that's also a concern i know son's in good good uh, fitness and everything but playing the amount of games at that intensity level and for to give the listeners some context, the Asian Cup is the premier um, tournament within Asia. So this is like the top tournament. Think in of it Asia. like the Euros. Right, right. Think about it as like Euros and bringing all the top European teams. This is like bringing all the top Asian teams together. All these Asian teams are bringing their top players uh, to this tournament. So it's not like the Asian Games where it was a U23. Um, U23 tournament. This is full men's national. Yeah, team. like a lot of pros are playing as opposed to Olympics or Asian Games, where it's mostly, like you said, under y- 23, like right. youth squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what? I I mean, let's get to the product on the field. What are your thoughts on Korea's chances? I think I mean they were runner runner up last time, right? Uh, Australia won last time. Australia ended up losing their first group match. Um, uh, they're probably going to end up third. Korea? No, uh, Australia. Uh-huh. Um, and Korea is the the favorite out of uh, their group stage, mm-hmm. which means if Australia falls to third, they're going to meet in the round of 16. Yeah. And I think that's what Korea is, is wanting to avoid the most, having to meet a th- the defending champion... Although they're a bit older and... Uh, they still have talented players, right. though. I mean, you'd rather play against, like, Philippines or, or something like that. Yeah, right? and like they did have a tough game, I, I believe, against the Philippines in their group mm-hmm. stage. Uh, Korea did, and they only ended up winning 1-0. Um, and 
and I saw some of the highlights to the game. Korea was creating chances, but it's not like it was. I mean, they had clear cut chances. They probably had they had most of the possession, but it was still only one zero victory. And our guy from the Asian Games that we were like head scratching, like why did why did the Korean coach choose him, Hwang Ijo? has really come through as like the leading striker yeah. um for this team he put in the goal uh game winning goal so he's and Korea's always historically struggled to find that striker um composed composed striker that can finish um goals in front of net and he's been that guy for them so hopefully he's a keeper um for them and bento this is like the first big tournament that we could kind of kind of see him uh perform yeah the homework for korea's national team the korean national team is going to be a lot of these teams are going to be you know kind of like inviting the pressure and and sitting back and parking the bus the moment they start the game um and a lot of these korean players um they aren't good when they have less space to work with, mm-hmm. right? Um, traditionally, they've been more of a counter-attacking atta- team. Um, Similar to what Korea did over the World Cup against a team like Germany. Right. Uh, they're not re- they don't really have a solution to a team that really sits back and just kind of absorbs that pressure. So um, that's going to be the biggest challenge going into the well, yeah, like throughout the whole tournament, maybe for except Australia, because I mean they respect Korea and and the Asian. Yeah, and and it's more of an even matchup, and I totally agree with that point and sentiment. Where I think the next level up for Korean soccer is gonna be seeing creative players like Son Min, Lee Sung Woo, and like these types of guys want to take the ball and create interesting things on the pitch where they're creating space for other teammates, where they're making an, a nice move and get creating that space so they can serve the ball into the box. Those are the types of things that I want to see, the creativity um, within the system that Bento places. And I'm curious to see how they're able to do that because Korea is always well known to absorb pressure, counterattack. But I wonder if they're able to kind of be that favorite and really be able to dominate a game and clearly show that they're the better team with their creative play um, on the wings and then be able to finish um, clinically finish in front of goal. Yeah. And, and, I mean, maybe we'll see things working out differently when once Yizumu and like Sonamin comes into play because I mean that's gonna be two players that the the opponent is gonna have to really watch out for. Right, those so are that's the gonna create sparks. Right, and and they g- that's gonna create a lot of space for other players to kind of like run in behind or mm-hmm. um, yeah. So it's it's gonna be. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, and this is Lee Sung Woo's first senior international yeah. like big tournament that he's going to be playing, right? right? Or uh, did he? He, he, did he made the World Cup squad, did he? Uh, I'm trying to. I, I can't even remember at this point. I 
I think. I, yeah. Well, this is bad. <laughs> we'll see. This is bad. Uh, so yeah, but this I'm kind of curious to see how he does and what type of role he has. I know he's. I think he started off on the bench, uh, for the first group game. So I'm curious to see if he has a role or if he's going to be playing. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else that we wanted to cover? Because, um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll save the, uh, yeah, we'll save, we'll table other conversations for next time. Yeah, and I mean, there's a couple other podcasts. We're going to have the um, preview of the AFC and NFC championship game for football next week um, with my brother. And I did actually want to do a really interesting podcast. I haven't proposed it to any of our friends yet, but. AK, who's our good friend Andrew Kim, <laughs> recently chose a Premier League team to follow. So I think it would be a fun podcast to kind of talk about um, how we came into our English Premier League fandom and and the reasons why we chose the teams that we did and kind of pick AK's brain about how he chose and unfortunately, he's an Arsenal fan. He's like <laughs> gunners for life now. So he um, chose Arsenal to be his team quite recently. So I wanted to talk to him about what went into that decision. So I think that would be... Oh, that should be fun. That would be a fun, interesting uh, podcast to talk about. So thanks again, guys, for listening. Um, thanks, Hedjun, for coming back on. It w- it's been a while, but it's always good to uh, kind of have this normal schedule Uh, back on again and i look forward to seeing what ends up happening in this transfer window in january so uh, be on the lookout for the podcast that i mentioned and um, you'll hear from us next time thanks guys